is Dr. Guy. And this is Dr. John. Two brothers from other mothers. Welcome to Diseases, Death, and Doctors. If it's your first time, we'd like to welcome you to The Pod, a storytelling podcast that discusses the non-chronological history of medicine, because it is easier that way, and who doesn't want their doctors cutting corners? Today, Dr. John, we're going to discuss Chagas disease. <gasps> Shaka Khan. <laughs> the Wrath of Khan? Dude, I don't roll in the Chagas. <laughs> Shomer fucking Chagas. <laughs> it means I don't cook, I don't drive, as I sure as shit don't fucking roll. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Chagas, huh? A uh, South and Central American protozoan infection that is coming to a southern city near you. It might even be a Fox News headline. <laughs> is there a caravan of Chagas coming across the border? <laughs> Four miles long. <laughs> uh-huh. At least that is, because it is already in Texas, California, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Tennessee. <laughs> That's how Peyton Manning pronounced it. When, before you hike the football. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so uh, so what is Chagas, you ask? Well, guess what, folks? <laughs> We're going to tell you. <laughs> We're going to tell you. We're going to talk about Peyton Manning. <laughs> it is a tropical parasitic disease caused by Trypanosoma cruzi, a.k.a. T. cruzi, no affiliation to T. pain, and it is disseminated by a cute little insect known as the Triatomini, or kissing bug. (laughs) Our little six-legged Romeo spreads the disease by biting, a.k.a. kissing, humans as well as other other mammals. Uh, The parasite can infect greater than 150 types of animals um, and giving them, for lack of a better term, real-life cooties. (laughs) Something Dr. John knows all about. I stayed away from cooties. Whole life. (laughs) Um, The name comes from the fact that the bugs tend to feed primarily at night and prefer moist surfaces, specifically the mouth. The eyes are a nice substitute, though. The best part of the transmission process is the fact that when the bug bites its victim, it needs to make room for its upcoming quote-unquote blood meal. Hence, it simultaneously defecates. Oh, God. That's right, folks. It poops while it eats. Near your mouth, or perhaps your eye, the T. cruzi parasite is then shed in the bug's feces, and while the insect bite is painless, it does itch something terrible. Um, The victim then scratches at the site, and the bite of the, or sorry, scratches at the site of the bite and smears the microscopic stool into the wound, initiating the infection. I'd like to call this a parasitic Cleveland steamer. <laughs> Man, we've got all sorts of like uh, late 90s, early 2000 references here. <laughs> uh, Dr. Guy is currently wearing a bucket hat right now. I shit you not. <laughs> From 98. <laughs> I mean, it's really from 1998. Yeah. <laughs> Not ironically. <laughs> he didn't buy it at a Goodwill. <laughs> he got it. How did I hang on to it for that long, you ask? How would you get rid of it? 
<laughs> Why would you get rid of it? Well, I'm going to continue on with this journey down Chagas Lane, if you don't mind. Oh, please. Sorry to distract. No, no problems. Um, if you're really lucky, you might contract the disease through a blood transfusion perhaps an organ transplant, vertical transmission, i.e. mom to baby, or eating food contaminated with the T. cruzi parasite. Many countries in which Chagas is endemic screen the blood prior to a transfusion for T. cruzi um, as a precaution. Uh, It's also performed in traditionally non-endemic countries such as the United States and Europe following an increase in infections and, of course, immigration. Once kissed... Chagas disease will occur or present in two stages. There is an acute stage that develops within one to two weeks after the initial insect bite and a chronic stage that develops over many years. The best part is the acute phase, which in terms of morbidity would be the best time to make a diagnosis, is often completely symptom-free. And if symptoms are present... They are often minor, vague, and non-distinct, such as fever, malaise, headache, and lymph node enlargement. Rarely, the patient will develop what is known as Ramonasine, a swollen nodule at the site of the infection. Uh, a small percentage of patients will develop severe acute disease, about 1-5% to 5% of all patients, which can result in life-threatening fluid accumulation around the heart and brain. All in all, the acute phase typically lasts about 4-8 to eight weeks. You don't want mm-hmm. fluid around your heart and brain. Never good. No. Didn't we talk about that last we episode? We did. Or episode the before last? We did. Yeah. Made that guy to operate on us. <laughs> Daniel Hale Williams. Hell yeah. Decompressed. <laughs> so unless the patient is treated with anti-parasitic drugs, individuals remain chronically infected with T. cruzi um, after recovering from the acute phase, assuming that they even had symptoms in the first place. Then there is the chronic stage, which is also asymptomatic, you guessed it, at least for several decades, and is often referred to as intermediate chronic Chagas disease. Now, in about 30 to 40% of patients with chronic Chagas, you will begin to see evidence of organ dysfunction, and that is usually a bad thing. Once organ dysfunction is present, us fancy doctor types say that you have graduated to what is called determinate chronic Chagas disease. The most commonly affected organs are the heart and digestive system, with the heart being the dominant site of dysfunction. Palpitations, syncope, fainting episodes are commonly observed secondary to the irregular cardiac function. As the disease progresses, arrhythmias progress into ventricular enlargement or dilated cardiomyopathies, which significantly reduces the ability of the heart to move and pump blood. Also bad. Unfortunately, for many infected individuals, the first sign of Chagas disease is heart failure, thromboembolism, aka blood clots, um, or chest pain due to the microvascular abnormalities. Mm. Yeah, you remember the... A, B, C, D, E's of uh, dilated cardiomyopathy? No, I thought you were going to say like of moles. Moles? <laughs> 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 alcohol, alcohol, beriberi, shagas, doxyrubicin. I forget what the E is. Is ambutol? I don't know. I mean, honestly... Hopefully the cardiologist I send you to preoperatively identifies those. 
But no, uh, like we, I, I've seen uh, wooden stethoscope these days, man. <laughs> just put your ear next to the patient's chest directly. Old school like that. I like to bring an empty solo cup with me and put that against my ear and then just <laughs> red solo cup. Um, no, but I, I've seen some uh, some Shaga's cardiomyopathy or heart failure. Um, not, it's like. I don't know if you get into this, but like it's super common, like in Central and South America. Like I don't know if it's the most common cause of CHF down there, but it's very common. I couldn't, if I recall. No, I couldn't break it down into the percentages, but it is insanely common. And I think one of the important reasons I chose this topic for this podcast episode was because it is becoming much more prevalent here in the United States and. Assuming there are two to three physicians that actually listen to this, perhaps they're unaware, and we can put it on the radar because we are good Samaritans. <laughs> and <Yeah>. Physicians. <laughs> <laughs> we do those two things together. Uh, yeah, no, they're, mutu- <laughs> they're mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this bucket hat's taken about 10 years off my age. Gonna look younger, more vibrant. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what all the people in their midlife crisis think when they buy a Corvette or something. I'm gonna wear this to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like my new skinny jeans? <laughs> they make me look so much younger. Um. So regarding the digestive tract. <laughs> The esophagus and colon bear the brunt of the infection. The esophagus becomes enlarged, leading to dysphagia, difficulty swallowing, uh, reflux, and gynephagia, pain, all of which leads to weight loss and potentially nutritional decline. Uh, Downstream in the colon, the colonic enlargement occurs, resulting in dysfunctional peristalsis and constipation. Severe intestinal blockages can occur and the colonic blood supply can become compromised. Another 10% of patients will develop neurologic sequelae, such as numbness of the extremities and altered reflexes and movement. And for what it is worth, I'd recommend against Chagas if you are immunocompromised, i.e. HIV, organ transplant, etc. Because these folks endure a particularly unfortunate manifestation of the disease including brain inflammation, abscess formation, resulting in headaches, ultimately seizures, and loss of sensation. <laughs> I think those, uh... That's not really in the order of importance. Sir, <laughs> <laughs> so you have an abscess that we just saw on your MRI, but why do I have loss of sensation in my pinky toe? <laughs> yeah. Um, So a fun fact for our listeners, the route of transmission can play a significant role in disease presentation and onset of symptoms or severity of disease. People who ingest the parasite consuming infected meat, which likely means it was shat upon, uh, tend to develop severe illness, not by humans, but by the bug, develop severe illness within three weeks with symptoms of fever, vomiting, shortness of breath, cough, and chest, as well as abdominal pain. However, vertical transmission is often asymptomatic, i.e. again, that's from mother to newborn. Uh, While transfusion-based transmission often mirrors the same timeline as a cutaneous infection or bite. Hmm. I mean, information, do with it as you wish. (laughs) Listeners. Do good or ill with that information. I've already forgotten it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so how does a kiss never gets old, uh, cause so much chaos. Well, first off about 55% of the kissing bugs are infected with the parasite that causes Chagas disease. Once the parasite is introduced to humans via the bite, the motile T. cruzi immediately begin to invade host cells. Once inside the safe confines of your cell, the parasite transforms into its replicative form called an amastigot, which, as you may have guessed, begins to undergo several rounds of replication. Hashtag twinning. Once replication has been maxed out, the parasites, now plural transforms back into its motile form and bursts out of the cell like the Kool-Aid man through a brick wall. <laughs> Hello, bloodstream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the parasites then travel throughout the body via the circulatory system and infect additional host cells where they continue to replicate. Over years, a combination of the parasite's unchecked replication as well as the host immune response severely damages the affected tissues, resulting in the previously described dysfunction in 10 to 30% of individuals, particularly, again, of the heart and digestive tract. The majority of exposed individuals remain asymptomatic with the parasite and the host eventually reaching an immunological balance. That's nice. So, Dr. Guy, I have a question for you. Yes. Name this 90s song about a kiss, and I will read you the lyrics. But did you know that when it snows, Milly Vanilli. my my eyes become large Steel. and the light... But then it's always by Batman soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Just rounding out the 90s. Uh. <laughs> Great CD, by the way. <laughs> but did you know that when it smells, my eyes become large? <laughs> what a handsome man, Seal. <laughs> He's punching above his weight, or at least he did for a while. Uh, who is he married to? Heidi Klum? Yeah. Are uh, they still married? I'll be the scene. No. Oh. Bummer. But I think they're happy exes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Made me feel a lot better. We're gonna I mean Shagas is depressing. I don't wanna don't wanna add any burden <laughs> to the the Are they going to get back together? No, like uh, J-Lo J and Ben Affleck? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, you know what? I'm making comments on things I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not, I haven't spoken to Seal lately. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the history of Chagas disease? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a wrap. <laughs> well, actually, I will tell you. So T. Caruzzi has been detected in... Ancient human remains across South America, including a 9,000-year-old Chinchoro mummy in the Atacama Desert. Chimichurri mummy. Chim-chimini, <laughs> chim-chimini, chim-chimichurri. Um, as well as in remains of an 1,100-year-old mummy discovered as far north as the Chichuan Desert near the Rio Grande. Many early written accounts describe symptoms consistent with Chagas disease, with one of the first clinical reports suggesting a possible T. Cruzi published in 1707 by the Portuguese physician Miguel Diaz Pimenta, for which the cheese was named after. <laughs> <laughs> I just 
I ad libbed that. Oh, <laughs> he's so good at that. Um, in his text, he describes a condition called bicho or bico, depending on whether or not you're Portuguese and understand the, how to pronounce such things. Um, that causes the humors to be retained. Fancy 18th century speak, meaning constipation of or bowel obstruction. Uh, resulting in a decreased appetite. However, some historians believe Pimento was describing hemorrhoids rather than the associated shagasic megacolon. Those sound like pretty severe hemorrhoids, though, if you ask me. Um, another account, potentially a more accurate identification of the disease, was described by another Portuguese physician, Luis Gomez Fiera, who in 1735 described the characteristic shagasic megacolon colonic enlargement as a rectal enlargement. A Danish physician, Fedoro Langard, who immigrated to Brazil in 1842, described the dysphagia symptom, noting how many with the condition, quote unquote, could not naturally pass swallowed food onto the stomach, instead requiring a small amount of water to facilitate swallowing. Early insure. <laughs> Even with this Adaptation, these patients were noted to lose weight, eventually becoming emaciated. These accounts and others, historians believe, suggest that Chagas disease was present in Latin America from the beginning of the 16th century and that it affected both the local and, or indigenous people and conquistadors alike. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most famous descriptions of the kissing bug comes from Charles Darwin himself. Sir Charles. <laughs> Charles. Um, during his famous voyage aboard the Beagle in 1835, he wrote, quote, At night I experienced an attack, for it deserves no less a name, of the Benchuka, a species of the insect, to feel saft wine glass insects about an inch long crawling over one's body. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, get yourself a mosquito net there, Charles. Uh -huh. Before sucking, they are quite thin, but afterwards they become round and bloated with blood. And in this state, they are easily crushed. They are found in the northern part of Chile and in Peru. It was a bold insect for once such a bug that we captured, despite being surrounded by people. <laughs> I mean, does a bug really realize it's surrounded by people? I'd like to put that out yeah. there. <laughs> I mean, like Charles is doing a little <laughs> anthropomorphism. <laughs> if like ten people walk around an ant, would it panic? <laughs> it just... <laughs> oh that God. guy was. <laughs> that guy was tough. He never backed down for a second. <laughs> Um, anyway, if a finger was presented to said bug, the insect would immediately draw its sucker and make its charge. And if allowed to draw blood, it would draw blood. As some historians even hypothesize that Darwin's documented prolonged gastric complaints and nervous system symptoms may have been evidence that he, or evidence that with consideration of this encounter, that Darwin himself suffered from Chagas disease later in his life. However, in Darwin's case, the symptoms resolved with age, and hence Chagas is not likely. All right, so let's see. Chagas would not be officially identified until 1909. Great year. The formal description is credited to the Brazilian hygienist and bacteriologist Carlos Chagas. 
1908, Chagas was involved in a large anti-malarial campaign in support of the construction of a railway track in northern Brazil, or the northern Brazilian state of Minas Gerais. Um, <laughs> he was alerted about a large blood-sucking insect that lived in mass within local dwellings by one of the railroad engineers. How big are these things? <laughs> I feel like they're like a thumbnail kind of size. <laughs> I was thinking like a you know like a no seum or like a small tick or something <laughs> between Darwin's description and Carlos Chagas. I mean, I'm seeing like a small like dog, like a bug. Have you ever seen the movie Trimmers? <laughs> Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Great movie. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, the engineer told Chagas the insects would bite sleeping victims on their face. And immediately Chagas became concerned that these bugs may harbor potential infectious pathogens. Chagas proceeded to collect and dissect the insect, discovering numerous trypanosomes in their hindgut on deck for defecation. On deck circle. <laughs> <laughs> And on deck. Awesome. <laughs> um, Chagas named the parasite he discovered in honor of his mentor, bacteriolo- bacteriologist Oswald Cruz. Trypanosoma cruzi. The bugs, and more importantly, their parasites, were sent to their new namesake, um, Oswald Cruz, in Rio de Janeiro for further study. There, the bugs were allowed to bite research monkeys, and soon the monkey's blood was found to be infested by the T. Cruzi parasite. Chagas, at this point, was confident that he had discovered a pathogenic organism of human infectious disease, but was not sure what kind of sickness it was associated with. So let me get this straight. (laughs) This bro saw a disgusting bug and was like, I think that this carries an infection. <laughs> well, the railroad engineer said that there's a large butt bug biting people's faces as they sleep at night. And he was just like, I think that this bug is disgusting and carries an infection. I'm going to take it down and see if some of the monkeys get infected with it. But I don't know what symptoms this infection has, if any. <laughs> I feel like normally they go from the symptoms to the disease to the bacteria. This guy kind of reverse engineered it. Which is kind of impressive. I mean, the insight. He had a feeling. Yeah. I got a good feeling. His That's pinky toe me. swelled up when he was near that bug. <laughs> There's rain in the air, and this bug's causing <laughs> rampant My disease. My knee gets creaky. <laughs> Um, ultimately, the breakthrough came in 1909 after examining a two-year-old girl with a fever, swollen lymph nodes, and hepatosplenomegaly, or an enlarged liver and spleen. When Chagas obtained a routine blood specimen, he immediately recognized the familiar T. cruzi parasites. He immediately published a detailed report of his observation. Now, of note, the two-year-old girl would live to the age of 73, dying of unrelated causes and never developing determinate chronic Chagas. Well, it's a happy ending. Um, Thank you for telling me that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of times, our uh, bit players that walk into our podcast end up dying some horrific death. So once once bitten, twice shy. Um, Her blood would be reevaluated at fifty five and seventy one years of age, and the parasite was still isolated and identified. Unfortunately, 
All of the stories surrounding the identification and research of this disease are not productive or happy ones. Um, in the United States during the 1940s, an American researcher. God, are you about to tell me about some shitty old white guys yes. that experimented on people? Obviously. Why did we do a medical history podcast? <laughs> I don't understand why people in the world don't trust Americans. <laughs> Why there's white coat hypertension? <laughs> what's this? Yeah. What's this son of a bitch gonna do to me now? <laughs> um, anyway, so in the 1940s, an American researcher who had originally been sent to Texas to investigate potential cases of Chagas disease uh, cases that he was ultimately unable to confirm, he decided he didn't want to waste the trip. So instead, he decided to say, "Hey, assholes and racists of the world." Hold my beer. And then he selected a young African-American man from a psychiatric hospital in Austin, Texas, a 24-year-old, and purposely infected him with Chagas by planting kissing bugs native to South Texas on the man's body, hoping to observe the progression of the disease, a la a one-man Texas Tuskegee experiment. I mean, as frustrated as I get at times when people refuse to get vaccinated, should we really be surprised? Researchers and doctors have made some really disgusting choices throughout history. Hence, it is no wonder there's an element of mistrust, especially within minority communities. Um, Anyway, so two weeks after the researcher infected him, the man exhibited signs of Chagas. He had swollen lymph nodes. He had a swollen eyelid, a fever in about four weeks. Uh, And after about four weeks, when the researcher wanted, needed to confirm the parasite was actually in his blood, instead of obtaining a blood sample, as Carlos Chagas did in 1909, he instead opted to take kissing bugs raised in the lab without the parasite and then allowed them to feast on the man's body so that the insects could then be dissected, allowing the researcher to identify the new parasites within the previously... um, sterile bugs. I mean, that's a really ugly part of the story and it's told in even better detail in a book by Daisy Hernandez called the kissing bug. Um, the true story of a family an insect and a nation's neglect of a deadly disease. Possibly worth a read. Sounds like an, sounds like an uplifting book. Yeah, it does. <laughs> a real, one of those real glass half full ones. Yeah. Read that book where you listen to like Happy or something. If you feel no, or you could listen, read it while you're listening to Radiohead. It's like a, yeah. a box of little kid, box of dull razors. <laughs> little kid A playing in the background. Mm. Was that a '90s one or is that early 2000s? Late '90s, maybe. 90s. Late '90s, yeah, probably about the same same year as that damn bucket hat you're wearing. <laughs> Later. <laughs> Um, so let's see today. And by today, I mean a 2017 epidemiologic report. So, um, there is an estimated 6.2 million people worldwide with Chagas disease, approximately 162,000 new infections and 7,900 to 10,000 deaths each year. This resulted in a global annual economic burden estimated at 7.2 billion us dollars. 86% of which is borne by uh, endemic countries. Chagas is endemic to 21 countries in continental 
Latin America, Argentina, Belize, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Ecuador, El Salvador, French Guinea, Guatemala, Guyana, Honduras, Mexico, Nicaragua, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, Suriname. That's a new one. (laughs) Uruguay and Venezuela. And the endemic area ranges from the southern United States to northern Chile and Argentina, with Bolivia 6.1%, Argentina 3.6%, and Paraguay 2.1%, exhibiting the highest prevalence of the disease. And endemic areas due largely to vector control efforts and screening of blood donations, annual infections, and deaths have fallen by 67% and more than 73% respectively from their peaks in the early 1980s to 2010. Prevention is primarily achieved through vector control, hence limiting exposure to the the world-famous triatomini bug. Can you say insecticide? Yes, please. They can. In the mentioned endemic countries, for sure. Uh, efforts have also been made in endemic areas to screen pregnant mothers for infection and treating them prior to delivery to avoid vertical transmission, not a technique utilized in the U.S. currently, which is something that may need to change considering the amount of immigration and also the influx um, or increased prevalence of this disease, especially in the Southwest. Um, Chagas disease is managed using antiparasitic drugs to eliminate T. cruzi from the body and symptomatic treatment to address the effects of the infection. As of 2018, benzidazole and nitrofertamox. Nitrofer- yeah, I kept on wanting to say nitrofer. I was like, <laughs> macrobit. <laughs> yeah. um, were the antiparasitic drugs of choice for treating Chagas disease? though benzidazole is the only drug available in most Latin American countries. Now, for either drug, treatment typically consists of two to three oral doses per day uh, for 60 to 90 days. So you've got to commit. Um, I've had relationships that have lasted less than that in the 90s. (laughs) That parasitic treatment is most effectively early uh, in the course of the infection. Which, like we said earlier, is unfortunate because early in the course, the infected are often asymptomatic. Um, but if treated, it eliminates T. cruzi from 50 to 80% of people in the acute phase, but only about 20 to 60% of those who are already have already progressed to the chronic phase. It should be noted that while the prevalence of Chagas disease in endemic countries has been greatly reduced over the past several decades, the number of cases in non-endemic countries has risen dramatically. To date, human migrations have been identified as the critical factor for the spread. In the United States today, Chagas is well underreported, yet the affliction affects approximately 300,000 people here. It is no surprise that Latin American communities are disproportionately affected with considerations of the bug's origins, and hence most infections are identified in predominantly Latin American immigrants in Texas, California, and Florida. Unfortunately, we are currently, or we currently lack a national surveillance program, and hence it's unclear if these states are truly representative or where people are most affected by Chagas in this country. This may be changing, however, as Chagas continues to spread areas within the contiguous United States previously unaffected by the disease. 
it will begin to capture the attention of both the public and medical community. That's us, Dr. John. Or maybe <laughs> maybe smarter us's that don't have a podcast. <laughs> um, in fact, a recent New York Post article by Ben Koss reports a Delaware girl was bitten by a kissing bug for the first time, suggesting the northern migration of the bug. A uh, case in Nebraska was also reported as recently as the summer of 2021. <gasps> Not Nebraska. <laughs> kissing bugs love corn. <laughs> Are they kissing cousins in Nebraska? <laughs> Of course. <laughs> oh, well, that's super interesting. I definitely, uh, uh, my my knowledge was extremely limited on Chagas disease, and you have. Uh, I just think opened anything, my eyes. I just think anything from Brazil is exotic, and I like to talk about it. <laughs> um, I mean, the kissing bug from Brazil, very very romantic. <laughs> Portuguese is the language of love. <laughs> Stop doing the shoulder shimmy. <laughs> makes me want to. <laughs> uh, well, um, that was super interesting, Dr. Guy. I appreciate it, as always. Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to have presented this information. And I just want to say that the first 100 fans to rate our podcast will get a bucket hat. Dr. John will supply them. <laughs> Yeah, Dr. Guy has a, uh, a surplus of them in his basement that he needs to get rid of immediately. Or I'll be divorced. <laughs> oh my God. I'm not, okay, that's so bad. I'm not allowed to wear this in public. So perhaps a podcast is the appropriate place. Yeah. yeah. That, uh, that hat is definitely built for an audio medium. <laughs> all right listeners well stay tuned uh as we um near the end of season two of disease death and three episodes left and i want you to know that there is one more that i've done and then dr john has been working tirelessly for the entire season for the final two episodes Yep, last season and this season I've been working on these two episodes and during our break they are just polishing them to a shine right now. <laughs> the pentelet yeah, uh, episodes of the season. I, I mean, my anticipation is significantly peaked. Oh, yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> it's good to have disappointments every once in a while in life. <laughs> Keep you level. Yeah. Yeah, listeners, if you uh, enjoy the podcast or hate the podcast, uh, Dr. John, or sorry, Dr. Guy is to blame. Dr. John's <laughs> had nothing to do with it. My greatest fears after these episodes are unleashed. <laughs> the, the, the only comment that we will have ever received will be, Dr. John should do the rest of the writing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, all right, listeners. Take care. Stay healthy out there. Cheers. Cheers.